Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, you know that on the show we we talk to trailblazers, we talk to people that are disrupting the game, and the gentleman I have on tonight is definitely a game changer. First, I want to thank our sponsors. As you guys know, I got hooked on taking energy drinks when I was in the military. So, guys, want to thank thank my sponsor. Like I said, thank you, Jason Lane Curtis of Bonvera, for providing me with all my energy drinks. So, I just want to say thank you, brother. Now, guys, this gentleman that I'm about to have on is a true American hero in my book. We've been friends for years. He's done some great things in the uniform. He's even doing better things out of uniform. Get your pad and paper out because he's going to be dropping some knowledge bombs. Chris Ripka, what's up, my What's happening, Richard? How you doing, my man? Oh, man, life is so good, brother. Life is very, very good. Just, just got done hanging out with my family, watching The Masked Singer, and now I get to hang out with you. Come on, life is good. <laughs> the mass thing, man, I've not gotten into that because I just, I don't know. I just, I just can't feel it. I can't get behind the whole mass singer, singer concept. I just, I don't get it. Yeah. Well, my, don't get love it. it. My nine-year-old loves it. So obviously I'm getting sucked in. I bet she does. So what's up, dude? Oh, not much. You know, just uh, trying to, trying to live a life uh, one day at a time, trying to uh, salvage a business one, uh, one dollar at a time, just like everybody else is in the, in the industry. Now, for guys that are listening to this, um, me and Chris, we go way back. Uh, I've actually had him now. This will be the second time I've had been, I've had him on the show, and he's actually had me on his show, Raw and Real. So uh, he's got a great show, great podcast. So we're going to be talking about that. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you born and raised? Well, I was born in Minnesota in a little town called Wilmer, Minnesota. Not real little, but small enough considering where I grew up in Texas in Fort Worth and Dallas area. So any, anything is kind of little when you get, when you, when you compare it to that. So, what but, um, grew up. Yeah, go for it. What kind of kid was Chris? Kid. Oh man. I was an active kid. Today they call you, they call it ADHD. Back then we just called it athletic. You know, I like to go out and play baseball, played football, also, all sorts of things like that. So I don't remember being inside the house much at all as a kid, but I was always out on the playground playing some sport or something or another. Now, what kind of student were you? Horrible, terrible student. I don't, I don't believe I ever had. Uh, I don't think I had a year that I didn't have at least three or four Fs down the board in every single quarter. I just, I was a terrible student. I hated school. Hated going to, I mean, and this, this started young. This started elementary school. I hated it. But it was easy. Everything became so easy to me. I just, I got bored with it. I, you know, I, I totally agree because I think that was part of my heaven to ADHD. Is like I would get it and I would understand it. Then I'm like, all right, let's move on to the next thing. And we'd be spending four weeks doing the same thing. And I'm like, okay, I get it. And then I would act out and then I would say, Oh, you're too hyper. you know. They say, "Oh, you're too hyperactive." You know, you can't pay attention. Well, no, because I'm done already. I learned what I need, and let's move right. on. 
so high school were same thing? Yeah. Were you were you good in sports? Oh, I was I was really decent in sports. Uh, you know, wrestler, uh, football player, baseball player. Uh, played uh, you know played baseball at a at a high level after after high school went on to play college ball went on to play some semi pro ball you know things like that so yeah the athletics thing was always real it just all came kind of natural for me the the stuff that didn't come natural for me was wanting to do homework you know I never I never did uh, homework so I had there's sometimes where I had to sit out a, a game or two because I didn't have that C average you know that three average. So I had to sit out, and that is kind of what hurt me going forward. You know, when I tried to get into college sports and things like that, it, hey, you sat out games. Um, you, we can't rely on you to be there. You're not consistent, and that really kind of struck home to me. Now, what college did you go to? Uh, University of South Dakota, USD. Okay, the Coyotes. So now, did you get a degree from there? No, I didn't actually. Um, I, I was going to school. I was taking. Uh, psychology and something something clicked in me it's like man I, I don't need to be I don't need to be here I need to be doing something but I don't need to be here and I, I just couldn't shake that feeling and I wasn't a partier so it wasn't like I was going out and partying and going to the after bar parties and all that kind of stuff I just that wasn't my nature but what I what I, what I found out is I really enjoyed pursuing my passions and I and with ADHD, you know as well as I do, those passions can change from minute to minute. Oh, um, yeah, that shiny object syndrome. Oh, absolutely. I had it bad. So what did you do? Did you drop out of college? I did. I, I, I ended up uh, starting a small company. Uh, I was doing a, it was called Noble Legal Security. I worked for Gateway Computers at the time. And all of their computer systems... I mean, not their computers, all of their um, security systems that they had in place were pretty old and archaic, and digital uh, digital was just coming in, uh, the new wireless stuff, the, you know, VOIP stuff, and so I, I, I pitched them on upgrading their system, and they let me do it, and that was my, kind of my introduction to getting involved with uh, security video. And was that something that you, you really immersed yourself in? Not really. It was something that was just easy. I understood it. So, and it was uh, a friend of mine worked for a company that um, that sold those cameras and the and the DVRs. He's like, "Hey, I can get you a really good deal on it if you if you get this contract. I'll make sure that uh, you get get these things at my my rate at half off." So I had a fifty percent discount, employee discount, on top of getting this this contract that was just obscene. Well, I thought it was obscene. I left so much money on the table. It's not even funny, but we can get into that another time. So, how did you find your love of the military? Because you, you you're such a great uh, great American. So, tell us about that. Ah, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I wanted to do this from the time I could remember. Uh, the only thing I could ever remember wanting to be was an army man. You know, just uh, we I go out and play with my friends in the around the block and we'd all have these toy guns that we got at the dime store or whatever and we were shooting at each other that's what we wanted to do that our whole focus was on becoming a military member uh, my dad served in the military my grandfather my served in the military my uncle so it, it just it, it's what influenced me at the earliest age 
And that's that's like it's it just like you know a police officer's son or daughter, eighty percent chance that they're going to be a police officer as well. Mm-hmm. So, My dad was in the military. It, it just that's what I wanted to do. So tell us your recruiting story. My recruiting story was so so simple. I wish I wish when I was on recruiting duty, I could have had me as as a kid coming in. I was, I was 17 years old. I knew I was going to have to have moms, moms and dads' uh, signatures. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do OSIT, you know, one station training. I knew, so I knew I was going to have to go split up if I wanted to do it, or I'd have to wait until I, my senior. Year. I did not want to wait until my senior year finished. So I ended up going into the reserves. Went up, talked to this guy. His name was Sergeant Boyer. And he said, Sergeant Boyer, I want to be in the in the Army uh, in the Army National Guard. He goes, Well, that's great, kid, because that's not even in this office. <laughs> he says, So he said, Okay, um, what are what what are we doing here? He goes, Well, this is Army Reserve. I said, Well, what do you do? He goes, Just like the National Guard, it's one week of, uh, one weekend a month, two weeks out of the year. You'll go down. You'll you'll train with train with uh, your unit. And uh, you spend two weeks, and then you'll come home. So, well, what kind of unit are we? Uh, can I get into? Can I get into the infantry? No, 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 no. You can't get in the infantry. Can I, I can get into tanks, though, can I? No, no, no. You can't get into tanks. Well, what do I qualify for? Well, yes, as far as your asphalt goes, you qualify for any job in the army, any job. I said, okay, so I want to be an inf- infantryman. He goes, okay, dumb kid. Understand this: you cannot get into the infantry in the Army Reserve. <laughs> That's exactly how he said it. Hey, dumb kid! And uh, he educated me, and I became a seventy-three Charlie that day, which is a finance specialist in the reserves. In the reserves, that was the worst damn job, worst decision I ever made in the military. I made some good decisions, I made some bad decisions, but that was the worst decision. Now, did you stay in the reserves? No, I I ended up uh, transferring out of the reserves after about a year, I think it was, and I went. I came out to South Dakota and joined the National Guard. I was in the National Guard for about a year, and then I went active duty. Now, how long were you on active duty? Uh, Fifteen years, fourteen years, something like that. Okay, so you know, obviously, you've been through multiple deployments. Um, we don't. I don't tell one or two, right? You, so I know you've 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 had boots on ground a couple times. Um, so yes, yeah, they're here and there. So you've had how many years total? Total, I've got uh, seventeen years. All right. So you know, mo- once most people hit after the ten year mark, it's either like I'm going to stay in for the whole bitch because you're in for six, you might as well be in for a dozen. So. Right, exactly. What was your decision to get out at the seventeen-year mark? Um, you know, it was crazy. I so when I got when I got out of the uh, when I left the National Guard, <clears throat> I went infantry in the army. So I did finally get in, get into the infantry, and what I started to notice after as as my body kept getting beat up more and more. I wasn't healing as well, and those 18, 19, 20-year-old kids were starting to make you know me look bad, and I didn't like to look bad because I'm an Aries. I'm a very competitive guy. I'm a very leave-from-the-front type of guy. If I can't be at the front, I don't want to be at the back, and I'll, I'll you know bow out. When I felt that I could not do the job anymore, 
and going to another trust training into an MO, another MOS was no longer an option because I'd already spent so long in the military at this. You don't, they don't retrain you after a certain period of time. And then uh, it almost, it, it, was, it, it sounds bad, but it's, it was really good for me. I ended up getting blown up in a, in a rocket attack that uh, separated my shoulder, my bicep, and uh, took the base of my tailbone off. When it did that, it actually caused the Army to repair a spina bifida problem, which was causing me a ton of pain. But not only that, it, it, showed me, it gave me a way out to where I could still get a retirement after a certain period of time because I, uh, I had the required amount of time in to be able to retire medically and, and receive a, 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 a full retirement once I hit 65. Okay. Um, so now, you know, I talk, like I said, I've talked to hundreds of people now on my show it's grown it's grown so much um but yeah. a lot of people when i talk to you even you know like talking to former navy seals and you know just talk to um a nfl player that was out you know was in the mil- was in the nfl for 15 years and sometimes you know we get so even though we're hardcore and everything you know we get used to getting paid on the first and the 15th we used to get in tricare you know we're used to um SGLI and all that. And then when we hit the streets, like my friend Nick Valentine says, the military doesn't give a shit about you. And a lot of guys, they miss their camaraderie uh, and they don't have a mission anymore. What was your transition like? Oh, it's horrible. Um, Man, I tell you what, this is as honest and as authentic as I've ever been on any show ever in my life. when I first got out of the, when I first got out, I got lost. I didn't know what to do. I was me and my wife were arguing because now we actually had to live with each other. Um, our op tempo was so uh, so high. I maybe saw my wife forty five to sixty days a year, and now I had to look at her three hundred sixty five days a year. We started getting on each other's nerves. Next thing you know, I'm hanging out. I'm drinking more often. Oh, hey, I'm drinking more often. Hey, why don't I go work in a bar? So now I'm working in a bar. That transitioned into, hey, this guy over here is a tweaker. You can tell because he's playing that machine the way he is. Then it's like, hey, tweaker, uh, do you need something to drink? No, hey, do you need something to smoke? Yeah, sure, let's try it out. Then uh, next thing you know, I'm all strung out on, on drugs. That transition ended my marriage right there. It, it didn't. It still lasted another six years, rough, roughly six years, but it ended my marriage the day that my wife found that first pipe and with the with the drugs in it. Now, you know, as you know, as you, of course we you know we know that you know I've I've been clean thirty years. You know, I'm a recovering drug addict and alcoholic, so I I, tol- I totally I totally get that. But now at the same time, you were working, so you were a functioning addict, correct? Yeah, I've always been able to function just because my my energy levels are just insane. It's it's that ADHD, you know, the stuff kind of slowed me down, not sped me up. So by slowing me down and kind of putting things into perspective and focus, that's what made it worse for me when it when it was time to leave it, when it was time to put away is this stuff made me feel better, it also made me think clearer and it made me function better. So now I'm now I'm stuck 
six one way, half dozen the other. Do I get off it or do I stay on it and medicate self medicate myself? Well, guys, you know, if you're listening to this, um, you know, what we're talking about is on certain people's brains, um, when somebody takes something like methamphetamines, it actually slows the person's mind down. Where like a lot of kids that take Ritalin and stuff like that is a form of methamphetamine because it slows the brain down. So I, I totally get what you're talking about. So now what was your oh shit moment when you decided, all right, I need to quit this? Uh the day me and my business partner were uh, laying on the ground because him and I just got into a fight and uh, I'm looking, I'm looking at this six foot five guy laying on the ground, wondering if I just hit him with a hammer and it, it just is like, what the fuck am I doing? What, what am I doing? Excuse my language, but it was just, it felt so surreal to see that this guy that I call my brother, that this guy that I loved, like my family, and we're, we're fighting. We, I mean, not just fighting, but I was trying to kill him. I was trying to put a, a, a drywall hammer into his forehead. And if, if it wouldn't have been for friends that were trying to break us up, grabbing that hammer, it, it would have been the end of him, and I would have been sitting in, in a jail cell somewhere. So did you go for help? No, I, I not right away. I, I more or less just got up and, and uh, walked away and then uh, kind of struggled a little bit more, you know, because it, it, the moment is real. The moment is there, but it takes you time to process what that moment really meant to you. So it, it over the course of the next four months, as things are spiraling out of control and, you know, friends are leaving, friends are people that you thought were your friends are no longer your friends. People that you, that you never have talked to in a million years are all of a sudden the people that you're counting on for, for your next meal, for your next fix, for your next whatever. And it just, it, it got to that point where it's like, I just, I don't want this no more. I just didn't want it. And it just, it was just stopped. So did you go for professional help or you just quit cold turkey? No, I just I just did it on my own. I I couldn't I couldn't afford to. It wasn't that I couldn't afford it because you you know as well as I do we can we can go and get that help and it's not going to cost us anything, other than our pride or in our in our families. A lot of times that just that it it opens it up to the rest of your family, to now now you may have only lost your wife and your kids. Now you're losing your wife, your kids, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your uncles, everybody. Okay, now what year was this that you finally started kicking it? Uh, that was 2020. Okay, so now, you know, like we've talked all, all the time. We always talk, me and you, back and forth on Messenger and stuff like that. You know, you've made a lot of money. You've lost a lot of money. You know, COVID yep. kind of just kicked you in the ass. Uh, mm-hmm. So was, That didn't help. You know, talk to us about... <laughs> your success and then how you almost lost it all. And then now how you're on your way back. So tell us about big success. Well, well, I got real lucky early on when, when, uh, when I got back from Kuwait, uh, I was in Kuwait stationed in Kuwait when nine 11 happened. And I got to see that initial push, uh, 
for how they brought in the civilians and how they were KBR was taking uh, it was you know kind of running the show and all that kind of stuff. I kind of saw how that was happening in, in, when it, at from the beginning. So when I came home, I started a security company right away. There is noble legal security. I was going to get get uh, boots on the ground. I was going to get people overseas, all that good stuff. I never did get people overseas, but what also happened when I got home is all the airports needed uh, National Guardsmen to secure their the airports. Well, that left civilians, um, civilian companies opened up for the the National Guard camps, the, the uh, Army bases, the Navy bases, the Air Force bases. It, it left a huge opening for that. So then I jumped in and I got on that, I uh, got that contract right away. With that contract now, I had I had a, a bargaining chip. Now you know as well as I know, owning a business, you're not getting rich. You're not making the money, or you're making the money, but you're not getting rich owning the business because you got bills and you got payroll, and the payroll will kill you by itself if you're not careful. Well, then I decided to do the next best thing. I was watching Shark Tank, and then Kevin Harrington said something. He said, "You're not going to be rich until you sell the business." And I thought, that's what I got to do. So I looked for the first security company that was either just starting out or was trying to get into the military contracts but wasn't able to do it. And I found this company called Night Security. Boom. It was it was all said and done right then and there. One day, one signing, one check. Three, uh, $3.8 million for my company. And it, I had only been in business for maybe four months. So you sold a company for $3.8 million. And you give yep. a che- you have a check for three point eight million dollars, and usually when you give a person like myself or other people, if you give an addict some money, it's kind of like, woo! It's party time. Uh huh. What happened? Yeah, Vegas was embarrassed for, for me. <laughs> Literally, Vegas would have been embarrassed for me. Uh, they say Vegas is sin city, you know, a city that never sleeps, all this kind of stuff. It would have it would have tried it would have pretended to be sleeping when I was knocking on that door. That was just, it was crazy. I, I, I had a really nice uh, restored 1987 Mustang GT 5.0 convertible. And that thing, I, it became, that car was like my pride and joy because I put so much time and effort and money into it. Now with all the money that I ever wanted, it didn't matter no more how much I put into it. I rotted the hell out of it. I blew it up that first, I think that first week I blew it up. Uh, left it sit on the side of the road and just walked away from it. Uh, I was that was more of the drinking days though back when that happened. So you have this money burning a hole in your pocket. What was your next step? And moving, we moved down to Omaha. I had to. I was uh, working full time as a consultant. I had left the regular army for for a minute to work as a consultant in these. Uh, because all these all these airports, they didn't know exactly how to set up their TSA checkpoints and everything like that. And in Kuwait, that was my job. That's what I did. Is we we worked at the ADAG and we we set up these the security checkpoints. We we moved people through. We we had that set up. So I went out as, as a consultant, and I started helping them out down in Omaha, down in Kansas City, over to St. Louis. I ended up finally down in Dallas Fort Worth again. And that's where I decided that, uh, okay, 
I don't really care about anything else. I'm just going to hang out, party with some rich people, and lose a lot of money. And I mean a lot of money. <laughs> so, and then you moved to Omaha? Yeah, we went to Omaha first. And it was just a, it was just a short stay, uh, maybe eight months. Okay, so now you're doing all this because... What I notice about you is you always have multiple things going. You always got something going on. If yep. it's not three or four things at a time. And that's the whole, you know, some Absolutely. people, you know, will say, you know, ADHD. Like when I, when I was growing up, ADHD was a curse for me. But now as I became an adult, it became yeah. a blessing. Because I was able to do more than one thing, concentrate on more than one thing, and just be <clears> able to, you know, be able to roll with it. You know, especially... And then being an addict, um, we had the gift of gab. So we can sell anything, yes. talk to anybody about anything at any time. So did, did you find that? Because, you know, one thing I know about you is you're a very uh, outgoing and personable person on the outside. So is that one of the things that oh, yeah. now I'm not saying on the inside because I don't know. But I know like me, I very oh, I'm... outgoing <laughs> but when i got home i was a different person what about you oh i'm i'm extroverted from the time i get home to the time i go to work it, it i have i have never had a problem being in front of uh in front of a group of people um i was a wrestler so that wrestlers in general are a little bit egotistical we're a little bit awful like that. We like to perform by ourselves in front of large groups of people. Call it what you will. That's just the nature of the beast. I'm sorry. If you're a wrestler, you don't agree with me. I apologize to you, but that's really the truth of the matter. We like that attention being drawn to ourselves. So with that, uh, with that whole concept, I used that ability to uh, attract attention and the, the natural charisma that we carry to just go into any place. I, I could walk in anywhere and sell myself to them to be able to do whatever I want to do. Uh, if I wanted to shoot a commercial, I started a video production company called Skyline Video Production. It was just a hobby. I just thought it would be fun. So I went and started this company and I go into a place to say, and just tell them, hey, let me... Let me shoot an a advertisement for you, and we'll put this thing on there. It's and at that time, this was a whole new concept. This whole geofencing, this, that, and the other, and being able to track uh, buys and, and you know people's buying habits. So I said, let me put this geofencing thing uh, thing on here. Uh, I'll explain it all to you when we get it set up. But right now, just let me shoot a video. I won't charge you for the time. I won't charge you for the shoot. Just let me show you what I can do. And they would get, they would buy into it. They would just suck it up. And they said, well, what's in it for you? I said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to track everybody that comes to your store with, and use this code that says, we watch this on television and this is the, this is the discount for every person that uses that discount. You're going to give me X amount of dollars. And they're like, well, hell yeah, I'll do that. Not thinking that it was going to go over as well as it did. These, a lot of these, a lot of these smaller companies, I ended up having to settle half, uh, settle with half payments for, because they didn't realize so many people were going to uh, come out and use those codes. Uh, 
those whether it be a short code or or whatever you'd call them now affiliate marketing codes whatever it was it was kind of a new thing and they just it, it, it hurt them. It hurt some people, and it helped some people. It, for me, it helped. Well, you know, now, you know, but, hearing your story, I, I noticed a couple of things that, you know, going on in your story is, like, when you had that security, you created a, a position for yourself with security. And now with this other thing, doing the TV, doing commercials, you created a position. So sometimes if there's not a position for you, Sometimes you have to create your own position, correct? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And you and I, uh, coming out of the military the way we did, uh, reaching the level that we did, we had it was. It's very hard for us to come out and work for somebody and not be opinionated to the point where maybe sometimes we rub them the wrong way. We're not trying to. We're trying to do what's best for their company, but the way we go about it, the 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 directness that we, we talk about things, sometimes it doesn't come off as, oh, they're trying to be helpful. They're trying to yeah. take over. And I, I got a lot of pushback uh, with uh, regular civilian jobs that way. The uh, civilian world just wasn't really my, my thing. They didn't, I didn't get along with them. Yep. So, okay, we're going to talk about business a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, I talk to a lot of veterans, um, you know, they, get, they decide they're going to get out of the military they're going to open up a t-shirt hat, a company hat, a company t-shirt, a hat company, liquor store, a liquor company, mm-hmm. or they're going to um, coffee, coffee shop. And 10, you know, six months later, they're $10,000 in debt and don't know what happened because they did plan. Yep. So can you talk to us, first of all, what are some of the things that the military taught you that has done great for you in business? Um, everything <laughs> the, the way they planned it the way the way you go about uh, creating your your app order and the way you go about creating your mission planning uh from from the lowest level you know doing your doing your reconnoiter where you're just going out and checking and getting your finding out who's where what where your customers live I mean, honestly, if I'm going to put a store up, I'm going to know where the bulk of my customers are coming from. I'm going to put it as close to them as I possibly can. Whereas maybe some people are looking and they say location is location, location, location. But a lot of people fail to recognize where they're not talking about the location of your building per se. They're talking about the location of your customers. And that is one of the things that I recognized early on was – when I brought it over from the military, when I went out and I started looking at things, I started noticing buying trends on my own, just seeing mom and pops doing their thing in this area really well, but over in this area, mom and pops, not so much. You know, and I love that. Like I, I interviewed a little while ago, uh, Jerry Flanagan of j Dog, And he said that the way he started his business is he just went within a three mile radius, knocked on every door, talked to every single person within a three mile radius and did it consistently from the minute he woke up to the minute he went to bed. And I think a lot of times, you know, we're so get so wrapped up in the whole social media thing that we kind of don't even our, our own neighbors don't even know that we're in business. You know what I mean? Like we kind of forget our right. warm market. Yep. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, <laughs> That's uh, 
it's a, I don't like that tapping that part of the market. I, in fact, I really detest tapping that part of the market because they're going to be your biggest supporters, but they're going to be the first people that are going to step up and say, you know what, that's probably not going to work. They're going to be the first people that are going to, to you, they're going to be saying, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you shouldn't take that risk. Maybe, maybe you should hold on to some of that money because you just don't know. You, you got to have that rainy day fund. They're, they're going to be your biggest doubters as well. Now, away from you, you know, behind your back, they're being, oh, yeah, this guy is great. This guy is amazing. He's the best widget digit provider in the world. But to your face, not so much. And that's, so I try to stay away from that warm market. What I like to do is I like to go just outside that market. Who do they know? Who do they talk to? Who do they, who do they trust? And, and things like that. Start developing a customer base based on the people that they talk to on a regular basis. Now that's your semi, I call it my semi-warm, semi-cold, semi-warm market. You go right on beyond them. All of a sudden you got a loyal fan base. You got a loyal customer base who is willing to do what you want them to do, not by, not on your word, but on their, your friend's words, your neighbor's words. Your neighbors are your biggest advocates if you leverage them right. You know, I love that. And one thing I got to say about you, you know, and I'll always be honest, I'll never BS, BS anybody, but you are a person that um, you're, you're a people person. You know, you, you care about, you genuinely care about people. And you've had some amazing guests on your show, on your podcast, um, you know, so, you know, we're going to talk to the podcasters in the group that are listening to this. What are some of the things you wish you would have known about podcasting before you actually started doing podcasting and live shows? That I didn't need to spend $500, $600 to start podcasting. <laughs> I spent so much money on equipment when I could have spent less money on equipment and put more money into either um, education or possibly uh marketing. I could have done a little bit more of that. I didn't run my podcast like I ran my business. Had I done that, it would have been a different story. Okay. Like I said, I, you know, I was on your show and I had such a fun time. It was just like two brothers just hanging out. Um, so, you know, like I, I was in a bad mindset for a while, you know, thinking, well, I'm not good enough. My show's never, it's not, it's still small. Um, I'm never going to have any great guests. And then some, you know, I was interviewed, on a national podcast. And then I had the honor of talking to General Petraeus and my whole mindset opened that I shouldn't be afraid to reach out and talk to anybody, no matter what their status. So right. tell me, cause I know you've had, you've done a lot of live, live uh, concerts and stuff like that. Tell us some hacks to actually being able to talk to some of these high level, <clears throat> high level performers. Talk to the secretaries. There's no hack. It's just talk to the secretary. The secretary will put you in front of the person that needs to be talked to. But everybody is so busy trying to find out who the right person is, they forget that the secretary, the one at the bottom of the totem pole, is where it all starts. You know, and I, can, I, and I totally can so relate with that because, like, I would have, when I was in, I ran a million-dollar general nutrition center, and I would have all these sales reps come in and ask for the uh, owner, 
and and I would be like, uh, dude, if I don't approve it, and I'm the manager, it's not going to be on our shelves. So don't even talk to the owner. Talk to yep. me. So I totally get you know what you're talking about. That some like you have to go to the secretaries and go because she's the one that you have to get past that desk. So I totally get that. She's the bulldog. She's the watchdog. That's what yep. they're there so for. So now, what are you doing now? What are you up to now? Well, Saloon 7 Entertainment was a great concept and great idea. I got to meet some great people like, you know, Kid Rock, Yellow Wolf, uh, and all these people. I've got to meet these, these stars. Problem is, is with COVID hit, it shut my business down, killed it. I was no longer producing concerts. I was no longer able to work in bars and doing bar services. I couldn't. I, there, I was, I was, my money was just going out. It was not coming back in. So I had to, I had to restructure. I had to re, uh, kind of reimagine what it is that I could be doing. And when I say reimagine, I mean it. I okay. So I started live streaming ten years ago when when all we had was like Google and uh, uh, what was it called? Hangout, uh, hangouts or hangups or hangouts? I can't remember. It was hangups for the most long time because it just wasn't stable. So when I started live streaming, all this stuff was nothing. There was no industry. There was n people that did live streaming and webcasting was a small niche of people who came out of the broadcasting industry. The people that were podcasting were people who were there at the beginning, like uh, Cliff Ravenscraft, uh, Gary Leland, uh, myself. I mean, I, literally, I started my first podcast in 2003 podcasting for the South Dakota National Guard. Fast forward to 2014 when I had my first podcast that was an independent, this is my creation type of thing. The, so much had changed in those years between 2003 and 2014. When I went to look for equipment, I'm looking for broadcasting equipment and I'm spending literally six, $700 on a, on a setup when all I needed to do was grab a, a a mic, a smaller mic uh, that I could plug into a phone or, or into a like a Zoom, a Zoom uh, broadcaster or whatever, and I was in business. I had the computers. I didn't have to buy a new computer, but I did anyway because I thought I had to match the broadcast quality when all I had to do is really have an authentic message, have something to share that gave value, uh, that lent value to somebody else. So if I feel that I can't, uh, that the message that I deliver, somebody else can't take that and either be inspired to move or inspired to, to change, I failed. Period. Yeah, you know, and like I, I, since now I'm doing this full time, I do, you know, I'm doing a lot of reading that the average podcast only lasts 10 episodes and then they quit. And then if, you are, if uh -huh. you're over like 100 or 200 episodes, you're in the top like 5% because you, you're actually staying in there. So do you think, you know, like Gary V says, you don't need yep. all this equipment. Like he said, his most downloaded episode was him at a garage sale with his, with his cell phone. So do you believe that? Well, he's full of shit, but that's, a, that's that another story. Consistency <laughs> and quality, of, you know, go for the long game instead of the short game. Well, okay, so it, it, there's so many different uh, trains of thought on this. 
I've got a friend, Ray Rideout. He is an amazing uh, podcaster. He, he, and he's, a, he's also a, uh, a veteran who works for the VA. He, he's got he's the beard with the golden voice is what I call him. And the guy has some of the most amazing chops, but he's a very much an audiophile. He has to have that crystal clear audio. He has to have the everything's got to be tight and works together. Me, on the other hand, I'm more loosey-goosey. I like to shoot, you know, just roll with it and just take off. And for him and I to work together, it was really, it was really kind of tough for a little bit because everything that I do, is, it's all shoot from the hip. I don't script my shows. I have bullet points. I just know what I'm going to talk about, but I don't actually script my show. And the reason why I don't script my show is because I don't want the audience to feel that this, that this isn't the first time we're both yeah. hearing it. You know what I mean? So if I say something, I'm hearing it myself for the first time as you're hearing it. It feels more authentic and it feels more like close, like we're having yeah, a conversation. Yeah, I love that, that you know, because like my, my show, there is zero editing. It goes out live. And I tell all my friends, if you were having yep. a cup of coffee with a friend, you're not going to be thinking about what should I say? How should I say it? The ums, the ah, because that would actually makes it seem mm -hmm. that it's real. You know, because I always used to love watching the old sports clips and watching all the bloopers because that was the real stuff. And, you know, that's what I love about here. So are you. I'm sorry. Say that again. Oh, no. I apologize. Uh, so are... I had some. Uh... It's drama okay. going on here hey, it's real life see that's what this is all about it's real life so are you back in the game now i am i came back so rebranding reimagining what it is that we're doing i created a company called or a business called ovid pro uh, ovid pros academy we're moving forward in this industry People who think that they're only going to be giving a class or maybe offering a service now are missing the boat. They're missing the boat. You have to look at what's going to happen in the future. Where are we going to be sitting at in 10 years, 20 years? We're creating an industry right now where we're going to have to educate people on how to become um, broadcast internet broadcast engineers, not just somebody who can peck around on a computer keyboard might be able to get lucky from time to time and get a stream to work. They're going to have to be engineers. They're going to have to know how to be IT people. At the same time, they got to know how to be broadcasters. So that's what we're doing is we're setting up this academy where people can come in and be certified as integrated online or integrated media specialists. Wow. And I, you know, and you know, like one of the things that I'm hearing a lot on different podcasts, and you know, they're talking about, the, the people that are going to be making the most money in the next five years are the people that can talk people that can actually get out and, you know, you know, speak like we do, you know, on shows, but also learn how to be able to set up a stream. You know, those are going to be the people that are in demand in the next five years. So you guys are on the cusp of something that's going to blow up. So how do you go about, finding customers that want to learn how to do the actual engineering part because a lot of people they just want to figure hey i just speak into a microphone <laughs> you know but they don't realize all the yeah. behind the scenes um, 
Well, uh, to be honest with you, I go and talk to schools. I go to the high schools and I talk to high school students about what it is that what's coming up. They're the future that we're going to have to train for. So <clears throat> if, we, if we go into a school and we're talking to an auditorium and we're talking about live streaming this and, and podcasting that, there's going to be maybe 15 out of 100 that say, man, I, I know what you're talking about. I already do that. Because those 15 out of 100, they're the, they're the, they're the, the computer nerds. They're the ones that, that interested them young enough to where they are already involved. Those people are going to be your business owners. Those, those guys are going to own the next level, the Bill Gates and stuff like that. But then you're going to have those people that never even really knew what they didn't know. And they're going to be the broadcasters. They're going to be the, the people working, you know, the technicians, those people. And then you're going to have those people that don't want nothing to do with it. They're going to sit back. They're going to watch their streaming, uh, online streaming content, and they're going to be happy and they're going to love it. And that's okay too. And we, we, we can't, we can't cater to everybody because we're not everybody's cup of tea. But at the same time, as long as they know about us, as long as they know this is happening, that's going to bring them, now they become customers, they become the people that we're advertising to. Now big companies are now starting to get more and more into advertising on podcasts, on, on live streams, and that's going to benefit us now. More than, and then later on, it's just going to continue to grow. I consider you a professional, and I, I consider you one of the OGs in the game. Um, where do you see the future of podcasting? Um, I know Clubhouse is starting to catch on. I know that so much marketing money is starting to go onto TikTok. So, where do you see the future of all of podcasting? You know, people doing TikTok. Where do you see the future of all that stuff? Forget TikTok, forget live streaming, forget any of the video centric uh, places. They're good. They're gonna. They're gonna survive. They're gonna be there. But just like uh, Blab uh, was there, then gone. Um, TikTok is gonna be there, then gone. Snapchat's gonna be there, then gone. Podcasting will always be there because it's it's user defined entertainment, user defined education. They choose, people choose, pick and choose what they want to see or what they want to listen to the way they want to listen to it, whether it be in the car, at the gym, wherever they're at, they can listen. Can't always listen. You can't always watch a live stream. You have to sit down. You have to focus. You have to, you know, be there with that live stream. Podcasting isn't going to go away. It's going to get bigger and advertisers are going to see that and they're going to just jump that. all Those over two it. questions I asked everybody. Um... How do we find you? How can I? How can we get in touch with you? How can we watch what you're doing? Or if they want to take that course that you're offering, how do we find you? Well, if you want to find me, you first have to find Waldo because he is the only guy that knows exactly where I'm at. Now, but I'll joking aside, to get a hold of me, all you got to do is go to Facebook, go to you know, facebook.com forward slash CJ Ripka. And that's my personal page. It's my personal page because I put everything on. This is all personal to me. I don't put negative stuff on my page. I just, I, I try to always put something positive out there. Even when I'm having at the lowest of my lows, you'll never have to tell your 10 year old daughter or your 14 year old son, Hey, you can't look at this page. I love that. 
that's how that's the best way to get a hold of me is just go to my personal page i'll talk to anybody i love people genuinely love people and you want to have a conversation um and one thing i love about you is that you're real there's no bs about you It, it is it is what it is um, so the last question is, if you know somebody, because, you know, we're in a crazy world now, you know, parents are homeschooling, grandparents are teaching kids, you know, whole COVID crap. <clears throat> you know, if I ask somebody to do something in seven days, they're pretty much not going to get to it because they're so busy. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if you know somebody that's struggling with any, even if it's, even if it's demons or if it's if they're struggling with their podcast, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to write the ship? Um, get a hold of me. Seriously, um, I have given out more free advice than anybody else in this industry. I will be more than happy to have a conversation. But if they don't want to do that, if, they, if they're a little shy, they're a little embarrassed by what they, because I was, I was very embarrassed by the first stuff I put out. I didn't want to talk to nobody. If that's you, the best thing I could I can tell you to do is go with what you know. If if the mix if mixing a podcast together is confusing to you, don't do it. Do like what Rich is doing and just let it roll live. If you you enjoy that part of it, don't overdo it. <laughs> don't add so much fluff to it that it now becomes uh, an overproduced piece of work that people aren't going to really enjoy listening to because there's so much noise going on around you. Keep it simple and uh, read The Art of War because every principle that you can think of that will let you, that lead you through day-to-day life, it's right that, there. Brother. So, guys, if you're in the podcast game, if, you, if you've had a business, lost a business, and on their way back, Definitely reach out to my brother, CJ. CJ, talk to him. Guys, I also want to thank our sponsor once again. Thank you for my energy drinks. Without you, I couldn't keep my energy up. Um, Like tomorrow morning, I got to get up early. I got an interview with Stephen Kuhn first thing in the morning at 7 o'clock. And I'm not a morning person. So I'm going to be downing my energy drink on Vera. Brother, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on, man. You know, I love you and I appreciate you. And um, I always consider you a family member. And if there's anything I can ever do, you know, I'm always in your corner, brother. I'm truly humbled. I thank you very much. And I appreciate everything you're doing for everybody. And you got a great message. You got a great voice. Right, brother, like keep, I said, this will be the there. next two next couple of weeks. And you are on the new podcast. So you are one of the OGs of the new, of the new show. So I'm sure you'll blow it out everywhere when it becomes available. So, um, all right, brother. I love you. Be good. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.